1: In my job as the education librarian, I love to read about all the great things that other educators are thinking and talking about. I recently reread a book by one of my favorite educational theorists, Nell Noddings. In it, she wrote, Through more than five decades of teaching and mothering, I have noticed that children, and adults too, learn best when they are happy. Nodding contends that happiness should be an integral aim of both life and education. I fully agree with this great theorist, but especially when it comes to reading. Reading is best done when we are happy, and for us to be happy when we read, we need to read stuff that we enjoy. Far too often as adults, we give books to children just because they made us happy, but therein lies a problem— When it comes to reading, it is clear that no one book will make all readers happy. I'm sure everyone has had an experience of reading a book that you just loved, but then giving it to a friend, you found they could barely tolerate it. We all have different experiences with text. Because of this, no two readers are likely to interact with text in the same way. This is why I encourage all the students I teach at the university to really get to know the readers they are working with at a personal level. Only then will they be able to really find the right kinds of books that will resonate with those readers. The same advice goes for anyone wanting to share books with kids. First, find out what makes them happy, then find books that fit those needs. Happily, along the way, we are sure to find that book that we can share and love together as a family. That book in my family happens to be The Judge by Harvey and Margot Zemek. But even if we don't agree, we're still bound to explore the wide world of great literature in new and exciting ways that will make us all happy to read and learn. And those are today's thoughts from
3: Rachel's World. Welcome to World's Awaiting. First up, Rachel will introduce us to Brad Wilcox, who wrote a book about a child finding confidence all by herself. The book is titled Hip Hip Hooray for Annie McRae. Brad will tell us about his book and how it was born, scrawled out on a large mailing envelope while he was on a plane. Brad Wilcox is a professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Brigham Young University. He's lived in Utah, Ethiopia, and Chile, serving as an advocate for children and learning wherever he has gone. We're
1: in studio today with Brad Wilcox. Welcome, Brad.
4: Hi, it's great to be here.
3: We're
1: excited today to talk a little bit about your picture book, Annie McRae. So it's could, a fun one. Oh, it's such a fun one. I love it. Could you tell us a little bit about how the book came to be?
4: Well, you know, I'd written books for adults, and I'd written books for teenagers, and I'd even written books for adults on how they can survive teenagers.
1: But, <laughs> Good combination.
4: <laughs> but I'd never written a book for children, and I was actually reading a book called Koala Lou by Mem Fox. She's, one of my all-time I favorites. Know, she's an Australian author and one of my favorites as well, and I was reading the book to some third graders, and there's a phrase that gets repeated, Koala Lou, I do love you. Koala Lou, I do love you. And every time we'd get to the phrase, the kids started chiming in with me. They didn't. I didn't even ask them to, they just did. And we were having so much fun that I thought, ooh, that's what I want to do. I want to write a, a book that will have a phrase that everyone's going to want to say, but what could it be? Well, a couple of days later, my daughter came home. She was in second grade at the time and she started to set the table and nobody even asked her to help. And so I said what I say at our house a lot. I said, hip, hip, hooray. And then I thought, that's good. <laughs> hip, hip, hooray. But I couldn't put hip, hip, hooray for Whitney Wilcox.
1: That doesn't work. Because
4: that just didn't rhyme. And so I thought of a lady on our street, Annie McRae. And I thought, hip, hip, hooray for Annie McRae. And that's how I started writing uh, this little book about a girl who loves to hear people cheer for her.
1: That is so fabulous. That's one of the things I really love about this book is just the rhyme and rhythm that you have with the language. It seems like that was probably something that you've decided that you were actually going to do. So why did you pick having that kind of rhyme and rhythm as part of it?
4: I think it's vital for children to be exposed to that because it's part of what they call phonemic awareness. It helps them become aware of sounds. One of the reasons, Rachel, that it's so hard for you and for me to learn Chinese or to learn Thai or even Norwegian is because we're not used to those sounds. So I think any book that can help children when there's rhyme, when there's rhythm, um, when there's an emphasis on similar sounds over and over, then children catch on to that. And that's part of building that sound bank in in the back of their minds, that then leads to success in language learning, whether it's learning their primary language or a secondary language.
1: That is so true. I think that that rhyme and rhythm of language is particularly essential for those beginning readers. But as a writer, isn't that tricky? I mean, rhyme isn't necessarily easy to come forward. Like you couldn't put Wilcox in there because it just didn't work. So how did you come up with those really great rhymes to make that flow? Well, and I think
4: you have to to decide how much you're Mm. going to focus on this Because if it gets too much, then it it loses. If If it goes beyond a phrase or two, then it loses something because then the entire book becomes rhyme, which has its place. But I think it's the repeated phrase that helps so much with the phonemic awareness. So over and over in the book, the children hear hip, hip, hooray for Annie McCray, just like they do here in Koala Lou. Koala I do love you. And then that phrase gets repeated over and over.
1: That's a really interesting thing. I I know I've read lots of picture books where they take the rhyme too far and it just Ruins the whole thing because the pattern doesn't flow.
4: Well, that's why Dr. Seuss, uh, his book was rejected because the publishers said th- his first book was "To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street," yep. and he wrote it while he was going across the ocean in an ocean liner, and their room was right by the engine room, and he kept hearing "bum bum bum bum." bum. Bum 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 of the engine. And so when he couldn't sleep, he started thinking, and this is a story that no one can beat, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. And that's how he wrote the book, and his wife encouraged him to submit it to a publisher, but he got rejected over and over and over and over. And the reason was they said, Well, verse doesn't sell. Well, I think finally when a publisher was willing to give him a shot, they found out differently.
1: Yeah. And it does sell, (laughs) and it makes a a big significant. When you went forward to publish this book, did you have any challenges or anything like that, like Dr. Seuss had?
4: Well, one of the things I did with the book was put a a page in the back that said how this book came to be. And maybe that's the teacher inside of me that wanted children to not just read a fun book but also see the writing process, the process that a writer goes through because it's the same process that they go through as they discover. Discover what's inside of them and as they bring it out. And so I wanted them to know that the first draft of this book was written on an envelope when I was in an airplane and that I didn't even have any paper with me. That's amazing. And I wanted them to know that as I rewrote the book, I had to make changes 30 times. My editor would always say, that's good, but it could be better. And I find myself now saying the same words to children as they revise their little stories. And I say, that's good, but it could be better. And I wanted them to know that I got help with those revisions, that I didn't have to do it alone. So I talk about the role of an editor and an illustrator because some kids think, oh, I've got to do it all by myself. One girl, I was at a school, and she came up to me, and she said, here's my story, Mr. Wilcox, but I cheated. I said, you cheated? She says, yeah, my mom helped me. I said, honey, that's not cheating. That's being smart. That's what smart students do. That's what smart writers do. I mean, good grief. I'm a grown man, and I still won't. Put writing out there without having people look through it multiple, multiple times as I go through that writing process. And so I wanted kids to know that this little book that I can read to them in five minutes took four years for me to write for them. Four years. Now, I didn't work on it constantly for four years, but that's how long that process took as we went from sloppy copy To glory story.
1: And I think that's one of the keys that we need to help children understand is that there's an author, there's an editor, there's people behind this and interacting with that really helps. I know that uh, your book uh, won the Beehive Book Award which is a children's choice award here in Utah and uh, that award helps people understand you know there's somebody behind this. So have you had interactions with kids that you've talked more about that?
4: Yeah, and in fact, I was very honored when they won that award uh, because it uh, it's it was a Children's Choice Award, and I loved the fact that librarians all over the state had read a, a, a selection of books, and that children chose this one. That really made me happy, and my interaction with kids. Um, having to do with the book has always been delightful. I love going to a school and hearing the whole school scream hip hip hooray for Annie McCray. Yay! Or Or teachers will say to the kids hip hip hooray for Joey today. You know and they'll they they just are using the phrase and it's been fun to see that happen. I also like going into a library and running over to the W's and finding my book on the library shelf. I love that.
1: That's an amazing thing. So when we talk about the rhyme and the rhythm and how that helps, I think that's a great thing. But I also think that your story has a really great moral, that it helps kids learn something about being encouraged about what they do and even kind of in a general way going for their dreams. So is that is that something that you wanted to convey through your theme in your story or
4: Rachel, I think there's a fine line in being too didactic in children's literature. Most definitely. I think sometimes children's books, children's books come across as a lesson being taught by squirrels rather than children. Definitely. And if we're not careful, if if a book becomes too uh, teaching in its orientation, then children will shy away from it. And adults don't always like to read it to children. So you have to be able to find that fine line, keeping the story entertaining and keeping the story um, as a story itself. But I do think that stories that endure are stories that, that carry a message. And so I do try to write with a message. And in this case, the message is you can cheer for yourself. I don't need mom to cheer for me. I don't need dad to cheer for me. I don't need grandma to cheer for me. The only one who needs to cheer for me is me. And that if I'm cheering for myself, that that's the, that's the only cheer I need. And then I can start turning outward and worrying about other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that for my own kids, you know, this was always a problem. And for my students, this was always a problem. Here, teacher, look at this. Here's my picture. Here's my story. Look at this. Look what I did. Look, I can stand on my toes. Look, I you know. and, And you see children always constantly seeking the approval of others and the approval of adults. And I'm one to give kids praise liberally. But I also think it's important that children realize that this is something they can do for themselves. And that when, at the end of the day, it's not did somebody else notice, but did I notice myself? And I can be content with that. I don't need lots of people cheering for me. And if somebody criticizes me, I can even put that in its place and put that in perspective if I realize that I've done something good and I know that for myself.
1: Yeah, that understanding of intrinsic motivation and how we motivate ourselves, and then how that helps us become the people we want to be and have that kind of dynamic sense of going forward with our dreams and and engaging in something we love just because we love it, not because anybody else is giving us the praise back, I think is a, a very sound lesson.
4: One uh, teacher said uh, to her little kindergarten class, after reading this book, she said, What do you think the author's trying to say to you? And one little girl said, click your turquoise blue cowboy boots, because that's what the girl in the book does. And uh, the teacher said, well, that might be one lesson, but what else? And one little girl raised her hand and said, I think he's saying that we can cheer for ourselves. And I thought, boy, for a kindergartner to pick that up, that meant a lot to me.
1: That is a very deep thing for a kindergartner to understand, especially, I think, stories of all types just help us understand that better. When we see it in the context of story, it helps us visualize how that works for us much better than if we just said, okay, you guys, you can share for yourselves. Seeing that in the story just brings it home to them.
4: That's the magic of literacy. Is that we learn and we learn through stories. Uh, that's what happens when parents tell stories to children. That's what happens when we read uh, stories in a book. That's what happened when that's what happens when we move, We see a movie. We're being taught through stories.
1: And that's a great way to end. Thank you for teaching us through your story and helping us learn a little bit more about you and all of these wonderful things you had to teach us a hip today. parade Ra-
4: for Rachel today. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Brad. I appreciate that.
3: That was Rachel Wadham speaking with Brad Wilcox of the BYU Teacher Education Department. Next, Taylor Miranda talks to Mary Warner, a mother who has a child with autism. Mary shares her experiences, what she has learned about the condition, and how she has helped and guided her son to engage in reading. Here's Taylor and Mary. You have one child with autism. Yes,
5: my youngest. He's 11, going into the 6th grade. So
0: I think autism is one of those things that we we hear a lot, but maybe your average person doesn't know that much about. Can you maybe explain what it means for him to be autistic in how that impacts his everyday life?
5: Yes. The autism is, it's called the autism spectrum. And there are just as many definitions of where you can be on the spectrum as there are people that have autism. And so in that way, it's very hard to pinpoint that are very general things that you can do for autistic people because there is such a wide wide spectrum so it it can be hard to define but also if you are trying to define it um, more specifically it's it's basically just a different way of thinking a different way of understanding the world and seeing the world your brain just functions a little differently and that the impact on our everyday life with that is that typical society is formed in a way that we assume that this is how people are going to respond to situations. And an autistic person is not going to respond in the typical manner. For example, a lot of autistic people are very sensitive to loud noises. So something we might think that a child might really enjoy, fireworks or, or a cannon going off in the parade, would be very stressful and very upsetting and not happy at all for an autistic individual. So on that same note, talking about Levi
0: specifically, like how does his
5: autism affect his ability to read? Reading is difficult for him because of focus and attention span issues. He has a hard time sitting down and and reading a page that's all text. Autistic people in general tend to suffer from uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety quite a bit, which is not something um it's not the primary problem it's kind of a a comorbid effect of being autistic you stress more and to sit down and have a full page of text with no images in front of him is just too overwhelming he's capable of reading it he's capable of comprehending it but that's just way too more than he can do he will shut down and won't won't do it so uh Text with pictures um, have been amazing for him, like the Diary of a Wimpy Kid and things like that. Uh, He loves to read the comics. And this is one thing about, you know, I think autistic people in in general, their their tastes in in literature and and reading material might be very, very unusual, but it's still, you know, progressing in that literacy. I've heard of kids that love to read the phone book, or love to read maps, things like this. And, and Levi loves to read the comics. He has a huge bin full of the Sunday comics that he has saved, and he lays in bed at night and he will read the comics. He will read a chapter book, but even though his reading level is on a on a sixth grade level, he prefers the texts that have have more pictures. And also with Levi... He appreciates stories and texts that are a little bit calmer than, uh, you know, a typical child. I, I think we assume that they, uh, that in order to get a child's attention, it needs to be bright and loud and exciting, and hey guys, let's go do this. And uh, Levi does not respond to that at all. In fact, he had a one of his teachers was giving him a, a writing prompt. And the prompt was just a picture, and then you had to write what you thought about that picture. And she selected an image that she thought Levi would find funny. And it was a a child coming down a slide, a large uh, slide, and and the child was scared and had a very frightened, uh, surprised, frightened look on his face. And the teacher thought, well, Levi will think this is funny. Well, it upset Levi because the child was upset and it 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 was an image that he found very disturbing and both the teacher and I thought wow that's interesting to know that that he wanted something calmer not not trying to stimulate his his, his senses by getting him all excited and fired up and he'd rather have something that was we uh, she then had a picture of a, i think it was a kitten or something and and that was much easier for him to respond to. So, uh, it, so our taste in literature with him has always been the, the calmer, the something just more matter-of-fact practical that doesn't have to have this big uh, suspense or climax that we, we think that children need to have.
0: Do you have any advice for parents that have autistic children, especially when it comes to reading?
5: Um, yes, I, I again, I'm not an expert, but I have I have interacted with quite a few autistic children and and being a parent, I would think that that reading to your child is always number one, whether your child is autistic or not, to sit down and read to your child. And if it means reading the phone book or <laughs> reading the comics, uh, something that they find interesting, something that, That they respond to, Um, just that that interaction. Your voice being close to each other. That's that's important. Letting your child choose their their reading material. Uh, Perhaps there are parents out there who wouldn't let their 11 year old buy a board book. I think that just letting your child say, you know, if this is what you really want, if this is what you enjoy, if this is what you want to interact with, then. And to be supportive of their choices, and the, and, and also don't be afraid of technology, or uh, feel like that if that it's a cop out if if the child is is uh, participating with literacy through technology. Um, I know iPads are huge with autistic classes. Um, it gets the children interacting. It's something they understand. It's something they can do, and. I have seen nonverbal folks uh, doing these, these apps that are, you know, reading and writing apps on the iPad, doing it perfectly on grade level and to interact with that child before you would think, well, he doesn't understand. But they're very smart and they do understand,
3: they just often aren't able to communicate. That was Taylor Miranda of our World's Awaiting team talking with Mary Warner about her experience of helping her autistic child enjoy reading. We finish our program today with a conversation with two members of Studio C, the famous sketch comedy troupe. You'll hear Clara Goodwin interviewing Matt Meese and Stacey Harkey about books that have shaped their lives and have aided them in their path to creativity.
0: How did Books help to get you kind of into this creative business.
6: Books like automatically and naturally force you to use your imagination.
2: You know when you get reading you're able to like throw yourself into a world and like you're in this like new universe where you're imagining things and like you know, seeing this story unfold.
0: So how do you think books can help with that creative writing process?
6: You have to expose yourself to a lot of different kinds of writing because you never know where you're going to get inspiration from. But you also should be reading a lot of things, whether it's comedic or otherwise.
2: You can't just, like, practice writing. You Mm -hmm. also have to expose yourself to different types of, like, writing. You have to consume it. You have to watch comedy, all that stuff. It helps.
0: And in your opinion, what do you think makes a book
6: good? Oh, (laughs) she went there. That is a really good question. It <laughs> is. I think it just has to be compelling. I have a hard time with it's like, and this was the color of this and that. I'm like, yeah. let me just imagine yeah. some of this. It's super important to feel like a emotional connection
2: or some sort of mm. investment sometimes. But man, you gotta have the action. Like if there's no action,
6: like what like what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, why are we reading this story? It just needs to have like a reason to tell this story. Like things happen. What is the reason, yeah. yeah.
2: Like, think of Harry Potter. It's like you come into it, you don't come into it ten years before, you know, before he gets his letter to Hogwarts. You come in at like the, right. the most exciting part that lasts for, you know, several books.
0: And I've seen some of your skits with, like, Anne Withers. How do you take books and kind of turn them into a comedic sketch?
6: Yeah, there's so many different ways, and I think what's nice about it is it's it's like, uh, you know, it's a shared experience that the audience probably has. They've probably read this book. Then they, they recognize it, and they can appreciate the humor. I, I feel like books are a way to, like, bring everyone onto the same page, so to speak.
0: Oh, I see what you did there. Ah, same page? Do you have any moments, either when you are little or recently, where or reading has kind of made a difference in your life.
2: I feel like books, man, I feel like they they totally made me smarter, like increased vocabulary. <laughs> I just remember uh, growing up and like jumping into like books that were a little bit more elevated than my grade. It's, and I was just exposed yeah. to so many different words and like phrases and even like experiences. Cause you know, you're reading books, learning like people's life. It helps you like sympathize with people more. And you can ask everyone now, my vocabulary is huge. <laughs> <laughs>
6: You know, growing up, there was just, like, a bunch of different books. You know, I read, like, the Goosebumps series, <laughs> but I also read The Hobbit. Then, like, Harry Potter came out. I feel like that revived my interest in reading a lot. And Jurassic Park made me want to write. It wasn't like it had, like, a profound impact on me, other than, like, I want to write things because this was really interesting.
0: And do you have a favorite book from your childhood?
6: Mm. I really liked The BFG by Roald Dahl. <gasps> Oh, his I his books so that good.
0: One. Why is that one your favorite?
6: It was so imaginative. I don't know. I just, I really grabbed onto it. The idea of this, I wanted to know what like Frobscottle tasted like. like <laughs> it must taste so good. <laughs> and just the idea of like being able to control dreams was really fascinating to me. I just, I loved it. <laughs> oh man. I, that's such a
2: good question. Just like different phases of life. One of the earliest books I remember loving was called Jumping Mouse. And it was like a picture book, right? And I was like super young. And it was just this like inspiring book about like, you could be whatever you wanna be. And it was like tied to like Native American lore. And so I was like connecting and stuff. And then like as I got older, it's just like the more exciting the book was, the the better, you know what I mean? Like Roald Dahl. I remember I loved Matilda. That was like of his series, I think that was my favorite book of
6: his.
0: Say there's a kid out there who maybe doesn't like reading. What advice would you have for him?
2: Give up.
6: I'm just (laughs) kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't listen to me, child. I would say like start with what you're interested in. Try to find something that lines up into that category because there's something out there for everyone You know, there's just so many books and libraries are like I feel like these days especially they're underappreciated for how cool they truly are and how much they actually have in them there's definitely something it's just just try something just try a little bit and if you don't like the first 10 pages or whatever maybe move to a different book dude I totally second
2: that like I have friends that are like man I don't I hate reading I'm like you just haven't found Mm -hmm. the genre or the style that you love like there's something out there for everyone if you're into like history read um History fiction, find your style. Like, I've read books from mm-hmm. different styles that just, like, have grabbed me. And it's just, like, the hardest part about reading is, like, finding the good books. You know what I mean? That's what I think. Mm-hmm. It's like, once you get it, though, it just grips you.
3: That was Clara Goodwin talking about the power of books with Matt Meese and Stacey Harkey of Studio C, seen on BYU TV. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143. On the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.